Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you again today. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is John and I am one of the elders here. It is a pleasure to be with you. It's a pleasure to worship with you be gathered and praise our God this morning. The last time we were gathered, we started working our way through the book of Galatians. And Lord willing, it is a book that we will be in for quite some time over the coming months. Last week I provided some context on this epistle. We worked through who it was written by, the Apostle Paul, who it was written to, the churches in Galatia. It's approximate date for being written in the region geographically. But most importantly, we discussed the overarching reason why the Apostle Paul had written to the churches in Galatia. Uh, let's summarize briefly there for review. The Apostle Paul wrote because the Galatian churches, which Paul had preached to and helped to strengthen and build up during his missionary journey, had become heavily influenced by Judaizers after Paul's departure. Remember, the Judaizers were a small sect of Jews who claimed to embrace Christ as Lord, but who also believed that the Jewish customs, the ceremonies, and the Mosaic law must still be adhered to in order for one to be saved through Christ. These Judaizing men were zealously distorting the gospel and drawing many in the Galatian churches to a mix of faith in Christ and attempting to achieve works-based righteousness through trying to keep these ceremonies, trying to keep these laws. It was not one or the other. You had to do both. Paul's letter is a rebuke. It's a reprimand. It's an admonishment to the churches over this. As we learned last week, the overarching theme of the letter to the Galatians is this. God's people are justified by grace through faith in Christ alone and not by obedience to the law or outward ceremonies. Today we'll be continuing in the book of Galatians. I've titled this message quite simply, One Gospel. Please open your Bible and find your way to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 6. Our text today is Galatians 1, verses 6 through 10. Please join me as we read God's inerrant, infallible, and inspired word. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant 
of Christ. Please join me as we pray. Father, as we come to your word, help me. Your word is perfect, and I am flawed, I am broken, and I am weak. May your word, your truth, shine forth for this gathered people who have come to worship you and to honor you and to be fed by your word. Father, guard my tongue and guard my words. Let only that which is of you be worthy of remembrance today. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, in our text, we find ourselves post-greeting, if you will, and Paul's letter to the Galatians. In the first five verses of the chapter that we worked through last week, the apostle Paul had made an opening defense of his apostolic authority, stating that it was not from men, but from God the Father through Jesus Christ. Paul then introduced himself as the author and stated that the letter was from him with all the brothers who were with him who were agreeing with him in his letter to the Galatians. Paul next pointed briefly to the gospel. He reminded his readers that there is grace and peace from God through Christ the Son, according to God's will, God's definite plan. And finally, Paul reminds the Galatians that in the gospel, all the glory is due to God and God alone. Today, as we move forward in this epistle, beginning in verse 6, here the apostle gets right down to business. He immediately brings up the present controversy at hand, and the apostle, Paul, in his own fiery way that he so typically writes, calls it out. Join me as we read the first verse again. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. The apostle Paul here does not mince his words. He wastes no time getting to the point. He says, I am astonished. Now, of course, we know what that word means to be astonished. Uh, It's a word that is similar to being surprised. However, a person can be astonished in a good way or in a bad way. It can be positive or negative. For example, as a child, if your parents ever told you they were astonished at your behavior, there's a good chance they were not complimenting your mild manners and your meek obedience. No, if you were like me, it's likely that your behavior left your parents astonished negatively. Astonishment can be positive or negative. It can be good astonishment or bad astonishment. In the original language, this word that's translated as astonished, it does mean to be astonished. It means to be surprised. But it also has additional meanings. It means to wonder at, to marvel at something. So Paul is expressing astonishment, marvel, surprise, shock in a negative sense. He's marveling at the Galatians. But what is he astonished and marveling at? That the Galatians are so quickly deserting. Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. This word deserting in the text is a powerful statement. It describes a separation, a complete abandonment, an about face. 
I like to, I like to study the Greek, and in Greek, the original language of the text, this word deserting has a very unique meaning. It describes the action of a soldier deserting the military, a traitor, a turncoat, an act of betrayal such as would normally have been punishable by death, especially in the time of the Roman Empire. Soldiers would have been stoned or beaten to death with a stick for betraying and turning. Desertion is a serious accusation. While we cannot be certain just how quickly the Galatians deserted the truth of the gospel, some dates do help us here. If we use the approximate date that the epistle was written, which last week I told you was roughly 48 to 49 A.D., And if we use the widely held belief that Paul's missionary journey uh, likely occurred around 47 to 48 AD, it would appear that it was not very long at all before the Galatians began deserting the gospel. Perhaps a year, a little longer, a little less. We don't know for certain, but we know this from the text. The apostle says they deserted quickly and that he was astonished by it. So Paul is astonished. He's astonished that the Galatians are so quickly deserting. What are they deserting? Look at verse 6 again with me. Him who called them in the grace of Christ. You see, God had called the Galatians in grace through Paul's preaching the gospel to them during his missionary travels through that region. He had preached the gospel there. And having taught this this good news of grace through Christ, churches were established in the region of Galatia. After this, Paul then leaves and he returns home. And then Judaizing agitators move in among the churches. And the Galatians begin turning, deserting God's grace and submitting themselves to the curse and the yoke and the burden of the law, the ceremonies. Look with me one more time at what it says in verse 6 of Galatians 1. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel The Apostle Paul states that the Galatians were turning to a different gospel, a wrong gospel. It's worth noting that Paul's words here say turning, not turned. Just like his earlier words, he said deserting, not deserted. Paul is writing his letter to churches that are going the way of apostate but they had not fully apostatized just yet. He writes with the hope that the truth will bring them back from the path they are starting to head down. He accuses them of a different gospel. Dear ones, a gospel that is not fully by grace, through faith in Christ alone, is no gospel at all. The Galatians were believing a false gospel where Christ plus their works saved them. 
I'm going to ask you this today. What gospel do you believe? Is it the gospel of grace? By what God has done? Or is it a gospel of your works? Things that you have done. A very familiar verse to many of us, John 14, 6. Jesus clearly says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not through Christ and your ability to keep the law. Not through Christ and having been circumcised. Not through anything but Christ and his work. Let us continue through our text this morning. Uh, Look with me to Galatians 1, verse 7. Actually, let's read 6 and 7 together. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Verse 7. Not that there is another one, but there are some who would trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. First, Paul tells the Galatians that they are turning to a different gospel. But then he tells them that there is no other gospel. Here, Paul is not contradicting himself. We know that the Bible contains no contradictions. It contains no errors. It is true. If we don't understand that and we see an apparent contradiction in our mind, it's our understanding that is off, not the Scripture's. Rather, Paul is pointing to the churches that they are turning from the true gospel and what they are turning to is not even a gospel at all. You're turning to a different gospel and there's not a different gospel. To be wrong about the gospel is to be wrong about the fundamentals of our faith. The gospel, literally the good news is the hope on which Christianity rests. God's grace through faith in Christ the Son. It's the bedrock. It's the very foundation on which our faith is built. If you get the gospel wrong, one must question the integrity of everything that is laid or built upon that foundation. If you get the gospel wrong, everything built on that will be wrong. A solid building has to have a solid footing. So too, a solid Christian needs a solid understanding of what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, Christ the Lord says these words. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand." And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. If the gospel is not by grace through faith in Christ, 
it is a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. And that foundation is one of sand and not rock. You see, the Galatians' foundation had ceased to be the pure, unadulterated gospel of Christ. It was becoming Jesus plus their obedience to the ceremonies and their ability to keep the law. And that foundation, that foundation will crumble at its weakest point. And you know what the weakest point of that is? Where man's works became involved in it. Dear ones, if a house's foundation is not firm, the floor will give way, the walls will blow out, the roof will cave in. So too, if the gospel is wrong, if it is built upon anything except the all-sufficient solid rock of Christ, then it's no gospel and it will fail. It'll either fail in this lifetime or it'll fail on the day of judgment for all of eternity. Continue in verse 7. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel. Paul's talking about these Judaizers, these Pharisees, these legalists, these men who had come into the churches, creating controversy and calling and casting doubt on that which Paul had already preached and established in the churches in Galatia. These Judaizing zealots, the Apostle Paul says, are troubling the churches. They're agitating them. They're unnecessarily stirring them up. They're disturbing and causing turmoil among that which Paul had already set in place through the sound preaching of the gospel among these churches. So how were they doing it? They were teaching the churches things that opposed, that contradicted what was true. We know what Paul preached. The scriptures are pretty clear all throughout. If we look to 1 Corinthians one twenty three. What did Paul say? 1 Corinthians one twenty three. But we preach Christ crucified. That was Paul's message. Later in the book of 1 Corinthians... Um, Verses uh, 1 through 4, Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, in which you are being saved. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according, in accordance with the Scriptures. Paul had preached Christ, and the only way these Judaizers could have established any foothold in the churches would have been to go against what had been taught. They were teaching something else. The Apostle Paul says that the desire of these Judaizers, it's clear that it is not, their desire is not to establish sound doctrine in the churches here. He uses the word distort, to distort, to twist, to pervert the gospel of Christ. Well, to pervert means to reverse something, to flip it, to turn it upside down, to turn it inside out. In his commentary on Galatians, Philip Graham Ryken says this, When the good news about Jesus is right side up, we have the gospel. If we take it and stand it on its head, 
We have the law. These Judaizing men were not out for the well-being of the church. No, these fanatics were bent on converting the early Christian church to Judaism. Imagine, if you will, that you're a new believer in a Galatian church. You have trusted in, in, by faith in Christ and are living in freedom because Christ has fulfilled the law for you. Having established a church and put things in order, the man who taught you these things, Paul, leaves your town and continues his travels. Things are going well. You're regularly gathering with the saints. You're breaking bread. You're gathering to hear the word preached. And you're praying. Things are going well. Your church is following what Paul had taught you. But before long, men come among you. Men who claim to follow Christ. Men who say Jesus is the Son of God. Men who even say Christ is the Savior and King. But men who also say, you must also do these things to be saved. And they begin piling up a list of rules and ceremonies and laws that they have been following for many, many years. And they say, this is not new. This has always been the requirement. You must do these things. Well, do you do these things or do you not? As a new Christian in a new church, unsure, what do you do? One commentator put it this way. The church's greatest troublemakers are not those outside who oppose, ridicule, and persecute it, but those inside who try to change the gospel. This is where we find the Galatian church in chapter 1. Paul has left, and now men are trying to change the gospel that has been taught, proclaimed, and preached. What, what would you do? It would be far easier to believe that you must do something, that you must obey some sort of rules, that you must observe some sort of days and ceremonies. I have to do something, right? That's, that's easier to believe than to simply believe that I do nothing, and that it's by grace, through faith in Christ. Must I, mustn't I do something to deserve this? The early church reformer Martin Luther said these words, There is a clear and present danger that the devil may take away from us the pure doctrine of faith and may substitute it for the doctrine of works and human tradition. It is very necessary, therefore, that the doctrine of faith be continually read and heard in public. I hope you're hearing that today. I pray that you never tire of hearing that deep truth that we are saved by grace through faith. We must do nothing. Our life should reflect that we believe in Christ. But we contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. The doctrine of faith is one that we must continually preach and teach to ourselves and to the church because the counterfeit gospel is everywhere. Both outside the church 
and sadly, even in the church. One preacher said this, the most dangerous teachers are the ones who preach a different Christ, but still call him Jesus. This is why we read the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy earlier this morning in the service. Second um, Timothy, we're going to read verses, Second uh, Timothy 4, 3 through 5. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves, teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let's now look to verse 8 of Galatians 1. The Apostle Paul says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Here in this verse, Paul makes an important point. The gospel is true. Not because Paul, the apostle, preaches it. The gospel is true because Christ has done it. To put it another way, it's the message, not the messenger. The truth of the gospel is true, no matter who's preaching it. And the counterfeit gospel is false, no matter who utters it. There is only one gospel. The Apostle Paul says that even if he or an angel from heaven should preach a message that is contrary or opposed to the true gospel, which had already been proclaimed to the Galatians, let that false preacher be accursed. Brothers and sisters, we must now deal with this word accursed. We must understand what is being said here because it is so very important. In the original language, this word accursed, it is the word anathema. It means a thing devoted to God without hope of being redeemed. A person, a thing doomed to destruction, abominable, detestable, damned. It is the opposite of what it means to be blessed. It is the opposite of what it means to be the blessed man in Psalm 1. It is the opposite of the word blessed in Matthew 5 when Jesus begins the Beatitudes saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Accursed. Anathema. It is the opposite of having God's favor, God's grace, God's blessing. Damned. Cursed. What a terrifying and yet also a just word to describe those who willfully distort the gospel with a false one. 
There are everlasting destructive consequences for false teachers who do not repent and believe the gospel of grace through faith in Christ. Divinely cursed. Moving forward into verse 9. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. You may look at verse 9 and say the Apostle Paul is simply repeating himself for emphasis. You would not be wrong to say so. In fact, this is something I've taught before in some of our Bible studies. When Scripture repeats something, pay attention. But there are also several important distinctions between verse 8 and verse 9. In verse 8, the Apostle said, If we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. In verse 9, the Apostle says, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul has gone from the hypothetical to the actual, to the present day. In verse 8, he leveled the playing field for heretics everywhere. Whether it was Paul, an angel from heaven, or anyone else, if they preach a false gospel, let them be accursed. Just because Paul was an apostle did not excuse him from the responsibility to speak and preach the truth of the gospel. Anyone who teaches what is contrary to the gospel is under the wrath of God. But now in verse 9, the apostle is speaking to the current events in Galatia. If anyone is preaching a gospel contrary to the real one, the one the Galatians had already received and accepted, let him be accursed. A false gospel by false teachers was being taught in Galatia. And the Apostle Paul says, let these men be accursed. Anathema. Let's move forward into verse 10. The Apostle says, for, I am, now seek, for am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The Apostle Paul's words above about false teachers being eternally damned probably didn't come across as very tolerant and accepting. Direct, directly after stating that anyone who preaches a gospel that is not the true gospel be accursed, it's a bold statement, but one that's true, Paul then asked the Galatians, whose approval do you think I'm seeking? Man's or God's? Throughout Scripture, we see and we come to understand that Paul was uncompromising in standing for the truth of the gospel. No matter what it cost him in popularity or even at times, putting his very life at risk. We know from Scripture that Paul was beaten Paul was stoned, he was imprisoned, and yet he still preached Christ wherever he went. He says this in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. If I were still trying to please man, 
I would not be a servant of Christ. To be a servant of Christ means to cease worrying about pleasing man and to seek only to please God. Paul lived a life that was marked by that commitment to serve Christ. He lived and died preaching the one true gospel that did not seek to please anyone except God. He sought to exalt the Savior and call the sinner to faith in Christ and to see the church of the living God built up and equipped for the service of ministry. When Paul says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ, he's simply stating, it's either pleasing God or pleasing man. You can't do both. Who are you going to serve? It's also worth noting that Paul, an apostle chosen by the Lord, a leader in the church who God used to write the better half of the New Testament, and yet what does he simply say? He's a servant of Christ. He serves God. He is nothing. God is everything. Christ be exalted, a servant of Christ. I hope that can be said of us. I hope that is your desire. I hope that is your hope. We're going to stop in our text right there today. So now what? How do we apply what we have read and hopefully learned today? I have two application points for us to consider. Point one. The Galatians had fallen for a different gospel, one that was no gospel at all. Do you know the gospel's message well? Christian in the room, there are many things that you can devote your time to. There are good causes. There are life application self-help books. There's topical devotions, whether you're a single mom, an empty nester, or a retiree, or anything else. None of these things are bad. But do you know the one gospel? There is only one book to study for that. And it starts in Genesis and it goes all the way through the book of Revelation. How well do you know the truth of God's word regarding salvation by grace through faith in Christ? Do you know it well enough to spot a false counterfeit gospel when it's presented? Do you know the scriptures well enough to be able to silence those who would oppose and would teach a different false gospel? How would you fare compared to the Galatians when presented with a different gospel? Would you be able to point out the difference and point to the scriptures? Dear ones, study the word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Can you tell the difference? To know what is false, you must know what is true. Read this and know it. Memorize the scriptures to defend what we know to be true. So you can spot what is false, so you can stop them 
when they speak and speak truth. Our second application point. Friends, you've heard me say it a bunch of times today. There is one gospel. Either you receive this free gift of grace by faith in Christ, by God's grace, or you stand condemned and cursed for all eternity. Like the Galatians, have you been tempted to believe a different gospel? One that is no gospel at all. Perhaps a gospel of Christ and works, like the Galatians believed. Where you believe that your good actions help justify you before the holy God. Friends, no one is justified before God by their own merit. Perhaps you've come to accept a different gospel yet. One that shies away from calling what God hates sin and rather glories in it and accepts it. Perhaps a different gospel still that puts you, not God, at the center of getting all the praise and glory. Maybe a different gospel altogether yet. Whatever different gospel you have been tempted to believe, return to the gospel of grace through faith in Christ. There is no other gospel. God is gracious to forgive through Christ who fulfilled the law perfectly for us. In closing, I love the song that we've been singing recently, There is One Gospel. The second verse says these words, and and they are saturated with beautiful, sound, biblical truth. There is one gospel to which I cling. All else I count as loss. For there, where justice and mercy meet, he saved me on that cross. No more I boast, no more I carry the weight of sin. For he has brought me from death to life. I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, that is the one gospel. No more I boast in what I can bring. No more I carry the weight of sin. He has brought me from death to life. I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know this gospel? For the Christian in the room, know it well. Know what God's word says. If you're here today and you don't know that gospel, I would love to talk to you. Pastor John White would love to talk to you. Anyone with a green lanyard on here would love to talk to you. Don't leave today not knowing the freedom in Christ. Let us close in prayer. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that it is by grace through faith in Christ the Son, and not by our works, because we would never be saved otherwise. Father, I pray that you would soften hearts in this room that need to return to this, to be reminded of this, or be strengthened in knowing this. Father, thank you for your word, for your grace, for the message of the gospel through your Son. We praise you. We glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, 
please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's Word.